Hey guys, before we start the show, can you feel something changing, something changing in the air? It smells a little different when you walk outside. It's, it's getting maybe some parts of the country getting a little colder out. You know what that means? It means it's football season. It's coming upon us and you know, maybe not all libertarians love football, but it's okay to love football. It's okay to need a distraction from the craziness that we all uh, have to deal with in today's modern world. And what we do on Lines of Liberty, we have a great bonus show called Degenerate Gamblers. Myself, Brian McWilliams, and Rico, we uh, go through our weekly bets every week. We have a league that we uh, have with our Pride members where we're competing against each other. You can get into that. You can get involved in that if you want to. And we have a show every week, too, of course, where, where we're talking about those those bets and games and, and telling old college stories. It's a really, really freaking awesome show. But on top of that, we've teamed up with an awesome sponsor, Football Insider Edge, and we're going to bring you a deal. Now, now, these guys are bringing great content. They have a great community, awesome research. And what we're offering um, with them is, as supporters of this show, they are currently offering you a 20% discount on any of their monthly or full season plans on their website. Just go to footballinsideredge.com and use code LION and checkout to take advantage of this discount today. Doesn't matter if you're just a fantasy football player, if you're a DraftKings or FanDuel, or if you're a degenerate gambler, if you like to bet on every single game. These guys have the content for you to take your, your gambling, to take your fantasy football to the next level. Check out footballinsideredge.com and use code LION at checkout to get a discount on a monthly or full season package today. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. All right, all right. We are live with Dave Smith. Of course, you know him, host of Part of the Problem, a Legion of Skanks, future presidential <laughs> candidate, possibly uh, the most consistent motherfucker around. Dave, welcome to Finding Freedom. Oh, what's up, John? Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, I apologize for postponing this from the other week. But thank you for uh, rescheduling. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, we uh, I think we originally talked about doing a show because of course you've been on I mean, you've been on Mark's show with the debates. I don't know, you've done what, like 10 debates there? It's, it seems like you've done quite a few. I don't know if I've actually done any debates there. I've uh, no, that's not true. I I debated Eric Brakey, which was actually a really good one. And and well, you debated uh, Archie, right? I I don't know what you would call that, but something <laughs> happened on that one. But yeah, I've done and I've done Mark's show, you know, before that, like uh, several times. Mm -hmm. And then I even did Brian's show, which somehow, even Brian, I don't know mm. how he uh, he he got me into that. He conned me into doing his show. But now I get to step up to the main event and do like the real, you know, the one that pays the bills for Lines of Liberty. <laughs> exactly. So, the, the real show. Yeah. And you got your you got your nice warm up in on, uh, on Fox Business tonight. So you're ready to roll. Yeah. That's and, uh, uh, Kennedy was like my shadow boxing for for this podcast. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So let's let's start off with some tough questions. Um, oh, actually, just had one of our one of our pride members bring this up to me. I, I didn't mm -hmm. even know this was the case. So mm. apparently, you don't know how to drive. Is that is that right? Well, I mean, 
don't know how to drive is kind of subjective. I mean, I've seen people drive before. I'm, I'm sure I could do it. You move the wheel, you press on some pedals, you beep the horn. Yeah, no, I know how to do it. Do I have a license by the state, like some statist? No. Um, but whatever. I could drive anytime I want to. I just choose not to. Well, I think, uh, you know, if you do run for president and uh, you get out there in middle America, they might ask you to, to change a tire or something on the side of the road to just prove your, prove your street cred there. Dude, no one who runs for president drives their own car, all right? That's the whole reason I'm thinking about doing it, just to avoid ever having to drive. Oh, but seriously, I'm a New York City Jew, and as weird as it is to everybody else, it's not that weird uh, in New York City to not yeah. drive. And I just moved out of the city this last year, but so I'm I'm gonna have to do that now. Start driving. Yeah, Michael Malice, of course. He's mm -hmm. always talking about getting his license now, moving to Austin. So uh, I guess everyone is everyone's spreading their wings. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's a new it's a new world, new world out there. But uh, yeah, so you know, like we talked about at the top uh, originally, we talked about you know. Two weeks ago, we were going to do this. But before that, it was uh, I was going to interview right after you were in Pittsburgh for the uh, the Mises, Mises Caucus event around the uh, Libertarian Party of Pittsburgh convention. And that was that feels like years ago at this point in time. But yeah. that was only only three months ago. So I just wanted to kind of bring that up again. And uh, I know, like, from my perspective, that was like the first event I was at, you know, in a long time because of the pandemic where there were no masks, people were hanging out, talking, having a good time. And the energy in that room, um, it was special. I mean, there were 400, 500 people in that room. I mean, I know you've done a bunch of events since then and um, just kind of want to get your opinion on what that night was like for you. Um, did you feel like that was sort of, you know, not launching a campaign or anything, but sort of, uh, you know, launching a, uh, the next phase of a movement. Yeah. I, I mean, I really did. I felt like that, that was a really, um, significant special night that I think everybody who was there, uh, knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I think that, that, that goes for you, like just as someone mm -hmm. who was there there and, and, um, there, there was something really powerful about just the energy in that room. Um, there's something uh, that that the Mises Caucus in the Libertarian Party is doing, and but you know we get a lot of um, we we get criticized at this point now from all different angles, right? Like there's every uh, which which is something as I've learned comes with success, right? Like it's not just now that say like the you know, the chair of the, the Libertarian Party is criticizing the Mises Caucus or the kind of whatever you want to call them kind of woke libertarians are criticizing the Mises Caucus. Now you have like the kind like um, more right wing libertarians criticizing us and the Republican libertarians criticizing us and the the wealth power influence kind of crowd, the post libertarian crowd. Everyone's criticizing the Mises Caucus. And you might ask yourself, why is it that you don't see us going on a whole thing about criticizing them? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you never see, like I might, I might respond sometimes when people criticize us, but you'll never see me just like taking shots at Liberty Republicans. Like going, you guys got to stop doing what you're doing, you know, or, or taking shots at someone 
who's removed themselves from politics and saying, I'm just trying to make money and live the best life I can or, you know, whatever, like that, like we're not going out of our way to criticize those guys, but they are all coming at us. And to me, I really think it's like, look, who else in the Liberty world has that type of energy behind what they're Mm -hmm. doing? Like what you saw that night, like there's something special that's going on here. And that to me is like, it's, it's really, it it was a really inspiring night and I was really, or two nights. I, I was honored to be a part of it. And I think that there's, there's nobody else in the Liberty space who has that type of, uh, that type of energy and momentum and passion behind them. And so it was, I, again, I don't know if like, you know, I watched a little bit of the, uh, the videos that were put out and I was like, you know, that's good, but it doesn't quite capture what it was like to be there. Um, and it was really, it really was something special. So I'll, I'll always have fond fond memories of that and what it was the beginning of, I, I guess we'll see, but that was, you know, to me, like, which is what we're all following in the footsteps of. It was like, it, it felt like something like the next chapter of the Ron Paul, uh, like campaigns where it was just like, somehow this guy was able to create this type of like energy around these ideas in their purest form. Um, and it was really cool. Yeah. The, uh, the video doesn't capture, you know, people standing around the, the edge of the room, leaning against the wall, just, you know, just trying, you know, people leaning into doors to be able to see it. It was, it was an awesome, an awesome night. And it's weird contrasting that night, Friday night to the next day, Saturday, which I was there at the, the LP convention and just the, the bickering and the, the pettiness that, that happened there. But it is what it is. That's uh, that's politics, as they say. So I'm sure there'll be a lot, a lot more of that in the uh, <laughs> yeah. in the months and years to come. Yeah. Well, I but, think it'll be. I think it'll be more energy, more passion, and also more ugliness and all of mm-hmm. that. So you kind of have to take the good with the bad, and that's something I've learned. You know, in in my career, it's like the more things progress, it's like the more followers I have, the more fans I have, the more enthusiasm I have, but also the more, you know, like negativity and hate and all of that stuff. So that's just, I think in some ways the, the cost of doing business. Right. So speaking of your career, nice little transition there you uh, gave me to give, but you know, this, this show is called finding freedom. And uh, one thing that I talk about with my guests is how people are able to find freedom in their own life. And I mean, you're a great example of that as you've you know worked your way up um, through the comedy circuit, built a huge podcast following on two different podcasts, really. And, uh, you know, that's you, you control the source of your income. Um, I'm, and I'm just kind of curious to get your opinion on the importance of people doing that, not saying everyone can do it to that ex- the extent that you have, um, contrasted to uh, people getting politically active. Um, do you think there should be a, a balance between the two, especially as libertarians today with vaccine mandates and people could lose their jobs? Or is, is that something that you, you really have a strong opinion on? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are, uh, there's an enormous amount of variables and factors in every individual person's life. And it's very hard to make the the calculations for other people, you know, because there's so many different factors of what exactly it means to be free. And so per- perhaps 
there are there's there there's certainly some people who working in a cubicle or working some nine to five job, but then allowing their family or whatever, because that's like the most income they can make to have, you know, mm-hmm. other options might be the best thing for them. It, it, it's very hard to judge what is best for another individual's life. And I, I really think that's kind of that belief is right at the center of libertarianism, yeah. that that it's very hard to, to say for someone else. Um, but I can say for myself, and then just put that out there to maybe somebody else is in a similar situation to me, that it was um, certainly like I, I do not at all regret that I was able to put myself in the situation where I am my own boss and I don't have to work someone else's hours and I can kind of control my own destiny and my own income to a greater degree than somebody who is just has a standard job. Um, I, I also think that I'd be it wouldn't be completely honest if I if I didn't acknowledge that there is a certain degree of luck that that played into that. So there certainly was a lot of hard work. And I've been at this for years. But um, I found what I wanted to do early enough in life. That's a huge, a huge factor. Um, I was had enough ability or ability to con people into thinking I had ability or whatever, you know, it might be. But Some would I, call that an ability in itself. Exactly, right. So <laughs> so whatever level of ability you want to call it, I had enough of that to make it work. Um, but, you know, look, if I, if I had just found, when I, when I talked about the timing earlier, you know, if I had just found out that this is what I wanted to do um, a couple years ago, well, you know, I got a kid, I got another kid on the way, I wouldn't be able to just put the 12 years into this that I did put mm-hmm. into it before it started really paying off. So there's just so many factors involved, that it's hard for me to say there is this like one size fits all solution for other people. So I just, I think you have to figure out what you value the most in your life. And and try to put yourself in a situation to focus on that as much as you can. Um, and so I, you know, it's very hard to say what, what anyone else should do. If you have, you know, if you have, uh, um, kids and maybe you have like a big family and maybe if you move out to some rural part of America, you can live for very, you know, very cheaply and you can be with your family all the time for, you know, and have more freedom by working some different type of job. Maybe that's the best path for you. I don't know. You know, it's I, I really do think it depends on the kind of subjective values of the individual, where you're located, what the circumstances in your life are. But I definitely think that there's more opportunities in in 2021 to forge your way independently than there have been in previous generations so if that's something that means a lot to you then there there is a lot more opportunity to do things like that where in my grandfather's day basically all the men were just going to go work at some factory and that's that doesn't have to be your life anymore so that's something to consider no that's that's a great point and that's really something that mark and brian and i have been talking about recently and thinking about, you know, ways, directions to take this show, um, you know, talking about the philosophy can, can get a little stale over time, but um, helping people really to, you know, have the tools and uh, the knowledge to, to find their own liberty, like you were just saying. I mean, that's different for everybody. Um, I mean, kind of 
you know, forcing uh, liberty has to look this way or has to look that way. That I mean, yeah, for some people, liberty are they're perfectly content with uh, you know sitting in a sitting in an office for forty hours a week, going home, you know, watching TV, hanging out with the family, doing the same thing next week, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, well, I never. So I n- yeah, I never want to be like. It's one of the things that I really uh, loathe about the uh, democratic socialist types is that they'll kind of like have this judgment where it's like, well, from their perspective, they're like, well, just working for an employer isn't liberty. Liberty is like being a part owner and being there for all the voting meetings and like all this stuff. And you're like, well, what about people who don't want to do that? Like, what about people who want to go home and watch the game? You know, Mm -hmm. which why why is it? By what objective measure is it better to sit around voting in some managerial meeting than to go home and, like, have a beer and watch the game? Like, I don't know, you know? So, like, I don't want to, like, tell other people, no, this is what is the better life to live. But I will say that what I have found the better life to live is to be as focused on family as possible. And that is my, like, that, that'll be the one thing that I feel comfortable enough to kind of put forward, particularly to younger men who I have a lot of in my audience, um, that I'm not saying you have to be this way and I'm not judging people who aren't, don't have families and stuff like that. But to me, having gone through, you know, the experiences I have and having led the life that I had, it's, it's painfully obvious all that really matters in this world is family and Mm -hmm. that the more, you know, if you're prioritizing anything above that, I think there's a a very high likelihood that you're going to look back and realize that none of that other stuff really mattered. And so that's like, I feel comfortable saying that, but again, not comfortable enough to say that you must live this way or that this is the better life. Just that I, this is, this has been my experience and, and what I've learned. No, I, I agree with you there too, and that's I mean that's been my experience. You know, having a uh, having a five year old daughter now. I mean, that's you know my world revolves around her, and uh, it's it's kind of crazy with what's happened with the political landscape that due to mask mandates and you know vaccination mandates and, and maybe passports coming. Um, Really, I've, I I can't remember in my lifetime a wedge being driven really in something that the electorate feels. Everyone's feeling it to to some degree. You know, there's families that are totally split: get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. Uh, vaccines should be mandatory; they should be voluntary. That people aren't even talking to each other. There's a, uh, you know, in the school district my my daughter's in. This is kind of null and void now since the governor just implemented a mask mandate for the whole state today. But uh, back and forth between, you know, not even all parents agree on, on masking their children or not, um, or I'm, I'm anti-mask or I'm not masking their children, but just to see communities kind kind of ripped apart. And it's going to be it's going to be something to watch what happens in 2022 um, at the midterms and then into into 2024. So what's, what's your view on that? Do you think that, that these issues that are so at the core of everything today are, are going to last here for the next few years? Or do you see the, see a pivot happening? Well, I think that, um, you know, God, I mean, God willing, 
we won't be looking at as draconian of a state of, you know, the COVID regime as we are right now or have been through the last 16 months. But who knows? Maybe it's mm-hmm. worse. You know, I mean, that that's kind of hard to say. And I don't think it's predetermined. I think that depends on how, you know, um, you know, people write history. And it depends on how all of us and all of not of us. <laughs> Uh, you know, act going forward. But I think there's almost no question that at least some of the remnants of the COVID regime will still be with us. It's certainly in 2022 and almost definitely in 2024. But to the broader point that you're making, I think it's um, like this is something that libertarians almost should have been able to predict, even though many of us didn't. Certainly, I didn't exactly completely understand Mm -hmm. how it would go. But that politics poisons everything. And so, of course, as you know, we've all kind of said, like on paper, it's like, well, George Bush, George W. Bush, like tremendously grew the size of government. And then Barack Obama tremendously grew it from where he was. And then Trump grew it from there. And now Biden's making it even bigger. And you wonder why everything has become politicized and why that's completely poisonous. But it's, you know, I was talking about this when I was at uh, Freedom Fest, talking to an audience of kind of like, a lot of libertarians and a lot of Mm right-wingers. And I was like, look, man, like we have so many disagreements, so many differences, but when they're not politicized, almost no one cares. Like, and, and I looked into this crowd of like, you know, several hundred people. And I was like, look, we got right now in this crowd, we got Christians sitting next to atheists. That's just, I guarantee there's some Christians sitting next to some atheists. And what could be a more fundamental difference than that? I mean, this Christian believes that you are going to burn in a pit of hell for eternity because you don't accept Jesus Christ into your life. And this atheist looks over at you and thinks you are goddamn delusional and that your most cherishly held beliefs are stupid and wrong. But you're sitting right next to each other and you'll probably go have a beer after this because it doesn't matter. Because politics aren't involved, because none of this has anything to, but once politics are involved and one person's a Trump supporter and the other one's a Biden supporter or whatever, you know, with this COVID thing, one person supports the mandates and one person's against the mandates, the, the question is now who's going to rule the other one? And so you, you almost have to go to war to figure out who's going to take this over. And so I just think so much of our, our whole culture now has been poisoned by how much politics is pervasive in everything. And what I'm hoping, and I think we all should hope, and I think there's there's a reasonable assumption that this is true, is that a lot of people are really tired of this. And that's kind of our opening. If we can go just like a lot of people are tired of this. Let's like let's just agree to okay, go in peace, brother. You can you can go have your school that's masked up or whatever, but I don't want to send my kids to that school. In fact, I won't send my kids to that school and I will kill someone before you force me to send my kids to that school. So like, I'm going to go in this direction. And that's, that's the best case scenario for this country is that at a certain point we can go, okay, there is no way that we are going to synthesize the cultural values of Alabama and Portland. You know, like they're, they're not going to be, but we could say Portland can live how Portland wants to live and rural Alabama can live how rural Alabama wants to live. That's the only compromise. There's obviously regionally there's that, but it's, it's also, I mean, it's, yeah, it's communities against each other. But I I do think that, that that's still the answer. I mean, 
Because you can't have a school district where half the school district wants to mask the kids and the other half doesn't want to. You got to split it in two. And uh, I mean, these are the the decisions that are going to have to happen. And I cannot agree with you more. I mean, I am, I'm exhausted with this stuff. Like I've, I've had it. There's no escaping it. You go to work, you talk to friends, you go out for a beer, you talk to your family it's it permeates everything and it is it's exhausting and that that is a great angle that if libertarians can come in and you're just like what what if what if we didn't what if we didn't do it do it this way yeah what if we did it a different way what if you know what if we gave people some options to live the life they wanted to well and also i think that libertarians should should notice and i've i've been saying this for for quite a while now but notice that i don't think and I, i'm i'm not saying this in like I mean, I guess it is to some degree conspiratorial, but I don't think I'm speculating wildly that it's not a coincidence that, you know, you look around so much at, at like the powers that be. And I'm not talking about like some mom and pop shop or some YouTube channel or something like that. I'm talking about like the most powerful entities in the corporate press, the the federal government, the the CIA, the FBI, like the like really powerful groups of people. And you just watch them pushing these culture war issues, you know, like pushing these issues that divide the the American people. And you're like, well, why is it exactly like, you know, from the libertarian perspective, you go, wait, so as this empire is crumbling and dying, all the powers that be are pushing a culture war. I think there's something to that. And I think that as, as you, you know, like the way I always put it was that Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party were only like a five-minute conversation away from agree- uh, away from realizing that there was nothing in conflict between what they were saying. Like that they mm-hmm. were all like, like we shouldn't have bailed out these big banks. And they're like, we should stop big government. And they're like, they'd almost be together for a minute and be like, wait, why are we enemies again? Like, yeah, this, that's kind of – we're all kind of saying the same thing in different ways. And there – I think it was a very um, concerted effort to to break the possible unity of real left and right dissidents apart and to kind of pit everyone against each other and i think that libertarians like if we have a role in all of this it would be to you know point out to people that it's really not your neighbor versus your neighbor it's like that that both of you guys are all being screwed over by all of these powerful organizations and institutions and you know that's what we should try to insert into the conversation, I think. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's a good plan. It's going to be difficult to do, obviously. With yep. I mean, there's just so much fear out there you know, coming from coming from everywhere from from the mainstream media, from alternate media. But uh, you got to. I mean, you have to have hope, and and the hope that I have recently, at least, is a bit of a white pill moment. Is in my local community. You know, getting involved in local politics with these school boards is meeting so many people who they don't know it, but they sound like libertarians in the things they're saying. They're just kind of natural libertarians. Um, so I'm trying to make make connections that way and get to know more people. But it this, this could be a a, uh, a red pill moment. I think it, I think it is a red pill moment for for a lot of people probably mostly all on the right since the left seems to be a hundred percent behind masking and mandatory vas- uh, vaccination. But 
Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully there's some potential for some good good left wingers to wake up. But you know, I don't know if we really even need to. Um, I mean, th- there are certainly situations where you want to focus on a group that's more likely to yield returns, you know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, like, I just I can't stand the whole black pilled like even thought. And I think part of that is, and I'm sure you can relate to that, but part of that is having um, young children. Like, I just, I don't have the option to be blackpilled for the future. So I don't care. Like, if you if you told me there's a one in a million chance that my daughter can have, you know, like a good life, then okay, let's talk about that chance. And what do I have mm-hmm. to do to get toward that chance? I don't have an option to go, oh, it's hopeless and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I hate that stuff. And I also hate, like... um you know, there's a lot of people who kind of like criticize that, that you know, my um, basically my my goal or plan of like to spread the ideas of libertarianism. And they'll feel like, well, it's too we're too far gone. We can't even worry about spreading these ideas. And it's like, dude, you're just like fucking quitting early in the game. And to just accept that, well, people will never accept these ideas or anything like that. It's like we had like as far as I'm concerned, we had the Ron Paul moment and basically nothing else ever. Like there's never really been a real libertarian, like really preaching the pure message, except for him on a, on a large scale. I mean, not to say that there aren't like great podcasts and stuff, but, and he generated like enormous amounts of enthusiasm, raised tens of millions of dollars, had tens of thousands of people at all of his rallies and all of this. And it's like, like you said, you go around, especially after the last 16, 17 months, and you see people who are like furious at all of this stuff. 99% of them have never been introduced to like the ideas of freedom. If you would just want to give up on the idea of doing that, like, okay, fine. I don't begrudge you for it. Go live your life. But like, don't try to convince me not to try to do that. And I, I think there's, you know, it's like the way life always works. It's this double-edged kind of thing. But as as awful as everything has been for the last 17 months, there's enormous potential in all of that. Because so many people really are waking up to how bananas this is. And, and a lot of people, especially adults, still remember February 2020. And they're like, holy shit, this is weird, man. Like, this is so weird that we're living in this life. And we got to hang on to that, especially now, because that February 2020 is just getting further and further away. So I think now is not the time to, to like, get frustrated and give up. Now is the time to, like, really double down. And, and like you said, like, try to be as present in your own community and, and you know, as, as you can. We're going to take a, a quick break here. We'll get back to this interview with Dave Smith in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to tell you about another awesome podcast. And I know you're you're thinking to yourself, John, I don't need another podcast. There's so many podcasts. I'm here to tell you, you do. You do need another podcast. You need to listen to Good Morning Liberty with Nate and Charlie. Um, these are two guys that bring a fresh take to the Liberty Conversation. Um, they have a background in healthcare. They're entrepreneurs. They, uh, they're they very educated in, in finance and markets and the stock market. They run a really interesting current event style show that keeps it uh, funny and entertaining. You definitely don't want to miss their segment every Friday, The Dumb Bleep of the Week. They do five shows per week. They're bringing you great content. Good morning, Liberty. Check them out. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for you know other people and their and their views, um, but like 
I think from, from my perspective, when we look at the liberty movement, and, and I do agree with you, there's an opportunity to uh, spread the message of liberty, to expose people to, to these ideas. But at the same time, um, and I do, I mean, I, I do agree that using politics to do it is, is a worthwhile way. Um, comparing, I mean, obviously comparing like when Ron Paul was running to today, I mean, it's, it's night and day, just the political atmosphere. But I guess the, th- the thing that I have trouble envisioning, and maybe you can help me kind of let me know what you've been thinking or, you know, envisioning for the next 10 to 20 years of, of this movement, of, of the liberty movement. What, what does it look like? So I, j- I can't envision the uh, political elites allowing the Libertarian Party to, to gain power. Um, I'm not saying that Donald Trump had the election stolen. I'm just saying that our election systems are set up for elections to be stolen. And just every election has that same opportunity for, for that to happen. So do you envision this change happening through the political arena or just by sort of growing, uh, you know, growing the numbers of people who are, who are on our side and initiating change that way through businesses and, and culture. Yeah. Well, so, so absolutely no question. I see it through growing numbers and changing culture, but I also think that that's very, very powerful. So, but I I should be specific when you say in the political arena, I mean, there's lots of different political arenas. So if you're talking about like local elections, those are things that are very winnable and people can go win local elections. And honestly, I don't care whether you're in the libertarian party or the Republican party or even the Democratic Party, I, I suppose, um, if you're like, if you believe in liberty and you want to try to get liberty in real liberty in real people's lives in any way you can on a local level, I think that's fantastic to do that. Um, look, the idea that if we're talking about the federal government, that libertarians are going to win power in the federal government and then roll back this Leviathan state. I, I, Forget even the elections being stolen or or rigged or anything like that. There's just so many other factors involved. You know, it's like the the elected officials don't even really control the federal government. They're kind of just there. And there's, you know, it's not just like the, the deep state and the bureaucrats and the lobbyists and all of this. I don't see anything about that. I mean, look, if, if one got in, great, give it a shot. But I'm, you know, that that certainly is not like the um i'm certainly not like saying like i think that's going to be the solution i think that's unlikely and that's an understatement i think it's almost impossible that that's what's going to happen however i think um a mass movement of waking people up is enormously valuable and you know what you know who else agrees with me is the ruling elite and that's why they spend so much time on these mass propaganda campaigns because they believe it's really, really important to convince the public that mm-hmm. what they're doing is somehow noble. You know, look, George W. Bush uh, and and Dick Cheney and and Wolfowitz and and that that entire administration, they wanted to go into Iraq before nine eleven. When once nine eleven happened, they were like, "We're going into Iraq," but they didn't invade Iraq until two thousand three. They took 
all of 2002 to launch a massive propaganda campaign about how Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, and he was in cahoots with Osama bin Laden, and he was going to pass off a, a weapon of mass, you know, he was going to pass off this weapon that he didn't have to this group that he wasn't in cahoots with, it's and crazy. they were going to bomb. Yeah, but they had to convince the American people of that. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's also something to be learned from that, that it's like, oh, they couldn't just go in you know, on September 12th, 2001, because they knew America would be like, wait, what? No, <laughs> like, you haven't convinced us that there's a reason right. to do this. So even when you see the stuff with COVID and uh, with the vaccines, the huge propaganda campaign that they, at least they believe they need, they believe that they need to spend, you know, billions of dollars on these massive propaganda campaigns. And I think they're right. I think they do need that. And that's what we're attacking. What we're trying to do is undermine that by waking people up and unplugging them. And if we can do that on a massive number, if we can do that by the hundreds of thousands or even millions, then I think that's our best bet. And then what those people do once they've been woken up to these ideas and to really, it's not even like part of it is the ideas of liberty, but uh, I think an even bigger part is just the exposing of the entire cathedral to understand that the corporate press and the government and all of these institutions are lying through their teeth to you. So then what people do once they, they realize that, I mean, there's a lot of different options, but I think we have to wake up a lot more people. And I think people like me and you, um, and probably everyone listening to the show that we're all proof that people can be woken up. And what is the, the total number of people that you can wake up? I don't know, but I would venture to say we're, we haven't approached it yet. So let's mm -hmm. get as many of them as we can. Yeah. I mean, it, it is encouraging. If we just look back, it's been what? Since 2006, 2000, is that when Ron Paul kind of came on? Well, obviously he was, Seven, he ran in 88. So 2007. Yeah. But when, the, but so, 88 was, that yeah. one doesn't count, man. No internet, no anything. You know, 2007, that was really the year. So it really hasn't been that long. I mean, we're talking talking 14 years. And there was, for whatever reason, I mean, I've heard you talk about it before, there was kind of like a, a lull in the in the liberty movement. Like, where did everybody go? What, what happened to everyone? Um, and it's obviously that's, that's picked back up with, well, what uh, time period are you talking about with the lull? I'm talking about like when the, when the alt-right was big, sort of the run up to, to 2016 with, with Donald Trump. Right. And so what happened though? You know what happened? Donald R Trump sucked all well, the air out of, uh, see, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. It was Donald Trump sucked all the air out of it. M Rand Paul blew it. Yeah, that's well, to me, that's what happened. That I think, ran, like, people could say, oh, Donald Trump sucked all of the air out of the room. And I guess there's some truth to that. But what happened is Ron Paul wasn't there anymore. And then Rand Paul stepped up and just didn't, wasn't the guy. Like, it was, and, and I'm not trying to, like, you know, knock him because he's the best senator probably who's ever lived. And he's been really great grilling Fauci and all this stuff. And he's, he's still great. I'm still so thankful that we have him there. But he just wasn't the one to, like, really lead the charge of, like, this pure kind of really, you know, explaining it to people. Look, I think that everything that's happened from, say, when Ron Paul left politics, so whatever, 2013, 2014, um, to now, 
is all, the, the problem is all that we haven't had anyone who was the leader of this or a good leader of this. The, you know, no one, you know, you watch kind of like the rise of like, whatever it is, the, the alt-right and the populist right, um, the populist left, the Bernie Sanders left, the intellectual dark web and everything, that, the Trump presidency and this, all these things. And it's like, what's the problem here? Like, what is the issue? It's like all these people are trying to kind of be like, hey, this whole thing isn't working. This whole establishment is mismanaging everything. But the problem is that no one had that real Ron Paul shit. Like, that's just the answer. It's like, no, this is what's happening. This is exactly why the managerial class is blowing everything. Here's why. You know, it's like that Misesian, like Rothbardian Ron Paul shit. It's like they're failing because they can't succeed. Because this is impossible. Because they can't calculate all of this information. There's just no way. And also, like, because of the public choice, you know, problem where it's like, yeah, they have their own incentives. and So, to me, it's like, it's not just like, oh, there was some lull in the liberty movement. It's like there was no one there to really be stepping up to the plate and following in Ron Paul's shoes. And I, I really do believe that if Rand Paul had just been Ron Paul or if Ron Paul had just been 20 years younger, that this thing would have been consistent the entire time through. And that to me, that's really what like the Mises caucus is doing is bringing that back being like, no, no, no. All these other things are deviations. This is all like, you know, like you've got that you've got some good points and you've got some good points, but you're all deviating from what the true American, you know, uh, um, tradition and response to all of this should be, which is that the answer to all of this is liberty. And that's it. The answer, yeah, people having the the opportunity to, like we talked about at the top of the show, finding your own liberty, which yeah, yeah, pe- people don't right now. Um. So to talk about, so I, I don't know. You, you probably didn't see this debate that happened on uh, on Mark's show on uh, on Monday here, but I'll give you a little little overview. It was Tho Bishop and uh, and Brian. And, I'm, I'm uh, familiar. I, I'm aware that it happened, and I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. But I uh, I hope Brian did a good job for me. <laughs> so I, I I think yeah, it was it was a good debate. I'm not going to say who won because um, I don't really. I don't know. I, I, I like I like both of them, so I'm not not going to pick a winner. But essentially, what they were getting into, and they didn't really narrow it down to to this question, but this is kind of the question that sparked the idea for the debate. So, if you imagine um, 2024, and imagine that it's Ron DeSantis and it's Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, and well, imagine yourself um, running as well. Um, so, so the three of you and whoever else, the Green Party, it does, doesn't matter about them. Um, so Im- imagine that Kamala Harris is running on this platform of, you know, we need mandatory vaccinations. We got to vaccinate every man, woman and child in this country or there's some penalty, some fines, some, something, something damaging to, uh, to the people. Um, you have Ron DeSantis saying there, there'll be voluntary vaccinations, voluntary masking, Kamala Harris is saying mandatory masking. Maybe they're even talking, maybe Kamala Harris is even talking about uh, quarantine camps like they've, like they've done in Australia, just paint sort of like the most, you know, diametrically opposed picture. And of course, 
Dave Smith on the other side is just saying, you know, this is this is this is nuts. What are you guys <laughs> talking about? But Im- imagine the election is very close, and it comes down to like a, a state like Florida, where they're where they're neck and neck, and uh, you're, you're polling well there too. But if DeSantis was able to get your votes, then he would beat Kamala Harris and win the election, and we wouldn't have mandatory vaccinations. I'm not asking for like an answer to to what you would do in that right. situation, but is as you start to like think about running for president, do these situations come come into your mind? Do, do you put thought into uh, things like that occurring and how you would react? Um, well, that's an interesting thought. I mean, maybe maybe not that one particularly. Um, so I, I guess I w- I would say that I would have more concerns about this. If a libertarian were running, let, let's say um, DeSantis was was running for re-election for governor of Florida, and he was neck and neck with a Democrat, and a libertarian was running and taking a couple percentage points away that would give it to the Democrat. I'll say this flat out here, and this might get me in trouble with some of the, the people in the Libertarian Party, but as you know, I really don't give a shit about that, so I'll just say it. We should not run anyone against DeSantis as governor in the state of Florida. We should not run anyone against Christy Nome as governor in the state of South Dakota, and we should not run anyone against Abbott as governor in the state of Texas. This COVID thing, these lockdowns and these vaccine passports and all this, this is too serious of business to try to to, to be the difference where we could end up electing a Democrat who is then go? I mean, if we really care about real freedom and real people's lives, then we can't just ignore that these three Republican governors actually, in in the face of the world, who was locking down, were, were again, they weren't perfect. I guess Christy Nome was perfect, but the others weren't perfect, but they did a lot better than the others. And we should, since we actually value freedom, we should care about that. And that would be my opinion. And I, I would particularly in the case of DeSantis and Christy Noem, I would, I'll, I'll get pretty active opposing that if that is to, to happen, that they would try to do that. However, as president, this is a whole different situation. And really, the president isn't going to determine, you know, lockdowns or vaccine mandates or any of these policies. They're going to be determined on the state level. And the idea that DeSantis was, was really good on COVID a, as a governor and so now we should make him president. I mean, this just seems like a strong argument that he should stick right where he's at as governor. Um, DeSantis as president, I don't know. I mean, it, like Donald Trump was the president through 2020. And what did that do to hold off any of this COVID insanity? I mean, through the worst, most vicious, liberty crushing, lives crushing lockdowns, Donald Trump was the president. And he was sitting there saying all the things he's saying, oh, they're just trying to tank the election and then blah, 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 and then let it all happen. So what are we going to have DeSantis now imitating Trump's hand movements and doing all that while it all still happens? I, I don't know. You know, I'll tell you, I think that one of the things that people really, particularly on the presidential level, that people really get wrong about politics. And I was trying to explain this on my show to the right wingers who listen to my show. I have a decent amount who listen to my show. Um, the Nazis. Yeah, yeah, the Nazis. It's primarily a Nazi show. Um, and to the Nazis, they're only like 90% of the audience. Um, but so, but I was trying to explain to them, and I was trying to argue that, look, even from a right-winger's perspective, it might be better if Joe Biden is the president 
than if Donald Trump is the president. And yeah. I think this is something that people have a lot of trouble with in, in like understanding politics because it's just so, it's so easy to be a binary thinker and to just go, well, no, my guy winning is better. But sometimes you'd rather have the worst version of your enemy in there than a all right version of your champion in there. And all Donald Trump really accomplished for right wingers was to be the best recruiting and fundraising tool for your enemies that they've ever had. That's it. Did the culture swing in some right wing direction because Donald Trump was president? Did the government swing in some right wing direction because Donald Trump was president? No. I mean, none of it happened. There was basically the continuation of the progressive takeover of everything. And so I, I don't really have some concern that I would get Kamala Harris elected over DeSantis, Israel's best friend and big critic of Obama's Iran deal and all that. I, I just, I don't think he'd be a good president. I don't think she'd be a good president, but at least she'd be a transparently non-human lizard person, awful, you know, unable to rally a group of people to do anything president. And so my mission in that is like, I don't care which one of them ends up winning. I'm, I'm here to try to spread the message of what is real and what is true and wake as many people up as possible. And we can, you know, if you want to play this game, of being like, well, we have to support the candidate who's 5% or 10% better than the other one. I mean, I, there's an argument to that, I suppose. But there's also, in my opinion, a much stronger argument to go at some goddamn point, we have to plant our flag in the ground and say, no, this is what we stand for. And it's not either one of these. And, you know, I, I haven't watched the debate yet, but I love Tho. I just, I think he's great. And I've met him when I was out at the Mises Institute and stuff. And he's just like a great dude. And he's really smart. And I love everything he's doing with the Republican Party in Florida. And I wish him all the success in the world. I'm not trying to like attack him for what he's doing or try to stop people right. or tell his people to join the Libertarian Party. You know, I, I wish him all the best. And if they really start killing it, maybe they'll win me over at some point. I don't know. But I'll just say this. If you really think that there is not value in planting our flag in the ground and saying, no, listen, this is the message. And I don't care if this wins or doesn't win, but I want to introduce these ideas to people who have never heard them. If you don't see value in that, then you're going to have to repudiate the Mises Institute and the Ron Paul campaigns. And that, so that would be my criticism for Tho, is that if you're not prepared to do that, which I don't think Tho is willing to do, then okay, then stop trying to get in my way as I'm trying to do this. If you don't think there's value in educational campaigns and in converting people and changing people's minds, well, then what the hell was the point of the Ron Paul presidential campaigns? And what the hell is the point of the Mises Institute? And as far as I'm concerned, that's the greatest two campaigns in the history of the world and the greatest organization in the history of the world. So I'm not ready to repudiate them. And I don't think Tho is either. So that's it. Go, go do what you're doing. But as far as the, the question you ask goes, I'm, no, I'm not concerned about mm -hmm. preventing Ron DeSantis, who would be the next warmonger president from, from being in there. I just, that's not a concern yeah. of mine. I mean, it's a obviously major hypothetical. And honestly, <laughs> if what probably, I think what's going to end up happening is I think Kamala Harris will probably be president pretty soon here. And she's going to be so horrible that the, the Democrats might decide they don't want to run her again. So... Who knows who it will be, but uh, I'm possible. 100, yeah, hundred percent agree with you 
on you know it's like the trump supporter it's not necessarily it's not necessarily a better thing for them the donald trump um the donald trump you know didn't win i mean it, it wouldn't have been better if he won well, it's I mean, debatable great, yeah well a great example of it though is i mean i'm convinced if trump did win i'm in pennsylvania you're in new jersey right we would both be in lockdowns right now like full lockdowns i i would bet my house on it because it would just be the response and all delta would be called the trump variant and it would be it would be the whole thing would you, just be you a, would have had listen I, i'm almost certain i mean you know they make a big thing about january 6th or whatever you would have had mass rioting just just that you would have had mass rioting after donald trump was mm-hmm. was reelected you would have i think this whole summer would have been filled with like violent protests if you can call them protests i mean just that alone what, what what would you get that's worth that? You know what I mean? Like there, I, I, and I'm convinced of that. There would have been, I, I bet, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars more of property damage and violent assaults and all of this stuff. I think all of the Democratic governors would have complete, like you said, completely overreacted again, had to go even further, you know, with the like, oh, like, we have to crack down because the federal government's so mm-hmm. awful. I think that the... um MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all of their ratings and and stuff would be way up from what it is right now. The Southern Poverty Law Center's funding would be way up. The cultural, just the the leftists in general would be more hysterical and energized. And what would you get that's worth all of that? Now, I don't know. Now, you also could say, there's because I'm not saying this is a clear-cut thing, there's an argument here, you wouldn't probably have this whole domestic war on terrorism being turned inward on right-wingers. That is pretty scary. There's other scary stuff going on. So yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to like make it like it's... I'm just saying that like you should at least consider the possibility that it's not so clear-cut. There's costs and benefits to each one. And I think that's... I think that's hard to argue with. No, it's 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 a valid point, and you know, with looking at how things are are kind of playing out with what's happened, you know, what what how Joe Biden is just falling apart as the president, I think, and there is there is an opening, um, and people are people are seeing the they've seen the incompetence of uh, of both of the major parties. So just to talk about Afghanistan for a little bit, um, it's I mean, from a libertarian perspective, obviously. It's phenomenal that we are out of Afghanistan. And I think you'll probably agree with me that getting out of Afghanistan is the best thing that Joe Biden and Donald Trump have ever done together. I think you actually said that. You might have said that in your last show when I listened to it. Might have stole that from I think you. that was Scott. I think that was Scott Horton who <laughs> said that. But yeah, that's it. But he's absolutely right. The greatest thing Donald Trump ever did in his life and the greatest thing Joe Biden ever did in his life was ending this war. Trump for negotiating the deal and Biden for seeing it through. So obviously that's great. We're fingers crossed out of Afghanistan. Um, how, how should libertarians be messaging on really the debacle that happened? Because you have basically the entire country got to see just the, the clusterfuck unfold, leaving billions of dollars of equipment there, leaving behind Americans who are probably going to get tortured and killed. Um, What's the best way to to use that as another tool to wake people up? Yeah. Well, I guess I, I would just push back. I'm, I'm not sure that Americans are going to be tortured and killed. And I, you know, I, I guess I could be wrong on, on that. But that hasn't happened so far. 
Um, and there was a, a suicide bombing that killed a few Americans, but that was not the Taliban. That was that was ISIS. And they're they're doing that for the explicit purpose of or I shouldn't say explicit, but but obviously for the purpose of trying to make this look bad and, and make it look like it's the Taliban and kind of draw us back in. I mean, to me, the thing that I try to harp on the most um, that I've been talking about, like on every platform I've been on for the last uh, few weeks, is that if you just, I mean, isn't it the most revealing thing ever? I said this on Kennedy tonight, just uh, just about an hour ago when I was on there, that is, isn't it something that Joe Biden is under serious fire and heat from the corporate press. And he had to hold, he had to have this speech today to try to save his political life because the, all of them, I mean, CNN and the New York Times and MSNBC and the Washington Post, they're coming after Joe Biden for ending the war in Afghanistan. But he didn't face anything for championing the war in Iraq. I mean, doesn't that in itself just say something to you? I mean, okay, this is this is ugly, and you know, I I, I guess things could have been done better. I'm not even sure, but you know, the fact that you end a war and then everyone freaks out, but say like Obama could just destroy the nation of Libya, Syria, Somalia, Yemen, and there's like not a peep out of the corporate press over that. That they all like it, there's a reason why we see these images. We see these images, these horrible images. The guy, you know, being thrown out of the helicopter. I don't know if he was hung or not out of that helicopter from from the Taliban, or the people jumping off planes, or putting their babies over the fence to give to soldiers. Mm-hmm. Oh, we all see those, and we have to be all tears and pity. I mean, if we saw images of the war in Yemen like this, and this is this is what makes you realize just how evil the corporate press is. They could have ended this fucking war of genocide in Yemen in a fucking month if they cared to show the pictures of what's happening as you have. I mean, I I think there was something, you know, I might mess up these numbers a little bit, but there's been hundreds of thousands of deaths. We'll we'll get it. We'll get a fact check on you, Dave. Sure. Go, go ahead. But there was a, I think um, they said almost a million cases of cholera. And then it was kind of disputed whether it was cholera or other like viruses and, and things that are like cholera, but they were disproportionately affecting babies and old people. I mean, you have the, the number of babies that have died in Yemen is probably over a hundred thousand, and these are babies dying from vomiting to death, diarrheaing their diarrhea to death. You know, like the, I mean, you know, show some images of that. You could end this whole thing. Like you guys have the power to generate so much outrage whenever you choose to, but they choose to do it only when someone ends a war. And and they'll do it, the guy Joe Biden, who they've been carrying this whole time, they'll turn on him on a dime for ending a war. Just like Donald Trump, the guy they were bashing the whole time, they'll turn on a dime and praise him for bombing Syria. And mm-hmm. so I think the libertarian like message here is that this whole thing is not what it's, it's, you know, being portrayed to be. And that no, the real disaster isn't leaving Afghanistan. The real disaster was the war in Afghanistan. And I don't know that Biden could have done any better. I don't know. I don't know how many options he had. I mean, I, I really do think he gave a speech earlier today. And I, I, you know, the speech was okay. It was good. Parts of it were good. Parts of it were bad, but parts of it were obviously political. Um, but I think the essential message that he had and the reason he gave the speech, I think he was right when he said there was no option for a middle ground. You know, there was a negotiated ceasefire contingent on us leaving. And if we didn't leave, then 
we would have need to send in we need to send in at least like 20 30,000 troops and that's not with any possibility of winning i mean we couldn't win with 140,000 troops we're not going to win with 30,000 but we could we'd need at least that if the taliban wanted to go back to war with us i mean the the soviet union couldn't win with 500,000 troops and just carpet bombings so what what are we going to what is it going to take for us to win you know this war it's probably going to take a lot more than than that um, but I, I think this was the only option and, and in terms of getting people out or all of that, I think, yeah, I think it was a mess and a scramble and the whole thing's ugly, but I, I don't, I, I just don't buy into this thing where it's like, oh, uh, the one guy who ended a war now has to be just kind of like demonized for doing that. Like, man, fuck that, dude. Demonize George W. Bush for starting two wars that we didn't need to be in. Obama for extending those wars to what, five other countries? That's who should be demonizing. Donald Trump for continuing them throughout his entire presidency. I, I give I give Joe Biden credit and I hate Joe Biden. You know, he's the, he's the architect of the like the worst policies in America. But I give him credit for ending this war. I give Trump credit for for negotiating the withdrawal. And I give Biden credit for for sticking to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. The thing the the white pill moment in this in this whole Afghanistan thing, and I, I, I mean, I, I do give Biden credit. I, I don't I just don't believe Biden's making the decisions. I think this is something that, you know, his inner circle realized needed to happen. Who knows what other external factors are at play? I'm, you know, I'm sh- obviously they. Wouldn't well, you think they would love to stay at war? I mean, well, well, so here's, what, well, what I know they would, right? So, so like this is the thing, right? So you see the entire corporate press coming down so hard on Joe Biden for leaving, right? And you know that the entire corporate press, like this is that half their staff are like CIA, NSA, you know, Mm -hmm. deep state guys, right? And then, you know, on top of that, the other staff, they're getting advice from all of those guys, right? Like, that's who they talk to. They're like, well, the officials at the Pentagon tell me this and this and that. And the fact that they're throwing Biden under the bus for this kind of tells you that, well, well, what? That the Pentagon and the CIA and, and all of these guys are they're trying to put a pressure campaign on Biden to not do this. And I got to say, I mean, it's, you know, it's possible. And you could believe that, that Joe Biden isn't really making these decisions and someone else is, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he would be getting so much pressure from the corporate press if it wasn't that he was actually making these decisions. I'm sure there's some other people in his cabinet and stuff who agree with him and probably a whole bunch who don't, but, Mm -hmm. um, I got to say, I actually do think there is, um, as, as Scott Horton has, has addressed before, that I, I think there's actually something personal in this for Biden. And I think there's a reason why he did this. And, and don't you know, forget, you know, Biden is, Biden is a corrupt politician, but I don't think he's Hillary Clinton. And I don't think he's Dick Cheney. I think he's the credit card company's man in Delaware. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's, he's a corrupt politician. He's like, ah, this has been a good run and I'm, I'm raking in the money and I'm doing good for my family. And he's kind of this bloviating narcissist and all all of this. But I think that, um, as, as Scott has pointed out that he, he lost a kid in the war in Iraq and, you know, 
both of us being fathers, we can kind of imagine what that's like. And, and he knows, he knows that Bo died from his exposure to the burn pits mm -hmm. in, in Iraq. And he's mentioned this, he's talked about this before, that he knows that that's where he got his cancer. He knows he got his son killed and his good son, not the crackhead son, the good one, you know, he got him killed. And I think that weighs on him. And he's mentioned that. He mentioned that in his speech today. He's mentioned that almost every time he's talked about ending the war in Afghanistan, that he's like, I sent my kid to Iraq. I won't send anyone else's kids there to die. And I, I think that actually the most likely scenario, again, who the hell knows, but I think the most likely scenario is that he really stuck to his guns on this one. And he knew he, he they, the, the only options were to surge or to end it. And he was like, I'm just not, I'm not going to send all, more people's kids to die for this war that we know we can't win anyway. I could be wrong about that. I'm speculating. But I kind of, that's, that seems to me to be the most reasonable or, or the most likely thing that's going on here. That's what we do in podcasting. We wildly speculate. That's what Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But uh, Dave, we're at about an hour now, so uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if you want to plug, I don't know if you, have, if you have any comedy shows coming up or any uh, any protests coming up at your comedy well, shows. Well, my last that, that was that was it for a little bit. They, uh, the last one was it for a little bit. My wife's uh, my wife's gonna have uh, a baby in in October, so I'm not going on the road for for a few months. I'm gonna stay home and and be around. I was already nervous as shit going on this last one, and I just can't getting too close we're like only like a, yeah. a month out so i gotta i gotta stay uh stay close to her and and my little girl so i i no no uh going on the road for a few months but 2022 i'll i'll be out all year long and stuff so uh wherever you are i'll try to come to a town near you but part of the problem uh at comic dave smith on twitter and, and that's all and thank you john it was a it was a pleasure man yeah thank you dave and uh, enjoy the, the time with your family, and uh, congratulations on the uh, birth of a son, right? You're having a son? Yeah, got a, right? yeah so. that's right. Having, having a boy. Got the girl having a boy now. Enjoy the time off, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, brother. Have a good one. All right, taking a quick break here. I want to talk to you all about my friend, friend of the show, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song. And uh, he's featured on a track with intrinsic it's called first world problems basically what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track you know cancel culture grifters inflation innovation all kinds of different things it's really really interesting track please go wherever you listen to your music iHeartRadio, spotify whichever one of these places where you listen to music please like and follow crypto man and please like this song share with your friends and it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. Cost of education when internet is free. Blind window makers who simply cannot see. What an awesome show that was today, getting to chat with Dave Smith. Just uh, 
you know, I'm so grateful for when Dave has the time to come on Lines of Liberty and especially to come on my show and uh, and talk with me. I know he's a busy guy. Um, prior to the show, uh, to recording this show, he was on uh, on Kennedy on Fox Business. So it's awesome to have a voice for liberty that is out there talking to talking to the masses on uh, on cable news on Fox Business and is still willing to uh, to come on podcasts and and chat it up with uh, with people like myself. So appreciate that, Dave. Thank you and. If this is your first time listening to Lions of Liberty, or uh, you know maybe you're not familiar with the show, I uh, want to let you know our structure here. We are, in fact, the oldest, and uh, they call us the OG Libertarian Variety Show. Uh, we kick things off every Monday with Mark Clare. Uh, Mark uh, is one of the best interviewers in the Liberty Movement. His show focuses on everything from entrepreneurship to um, you know digging into philosophy to debates and his show is always evolving so you don't know where Mark is going to go next I'm looking forward to seeing it and then Brian McWilliams with our Wednesday show Electric Liberty Land Brian's hilarious um, he curses a lot don't listen around your children probably but uh, he has a great take it really brings uh, the culture and the comedy uh, to looking at the news through a libertarian lens and then my show, Finding Freedom, where I'm talking to people all the way from uh, people who've been through the criminal justice system and spit out the other side to uh, entrepreneurs and people like Dave Smith. So please subscribe to the Lions of Liberty podcast on your favorite podcasting app to get uh, you know all three of these shows delivered to your little listening device in your pocket every single week. One more plug. One more thing I got to talk about because it's so freaking awesome is we have a new t-shirt out in our Lines of Liberty store. You go to linesofliberty.store. Um, it's a hands up, don't nuke t-shirt. It's got a little redneck looking guy with his hands up in the air. Big letters, hands up, don't nuke with the bombs pointed at him. It's fantastic. Phenomenal. Wear it to a party. Wear it to a restaurant. Wear it to a family event. You're going to be the center of attention and you can turn the conversation to talking about the ideas of liberty and uh, and changing this world and flipping this world on its head. So hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I enjoyed it very much. Please tune in uh, next Monday. Mark's going to have another great interview. We'll talk to you next week. Always keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning. <laughs>